welcome to the Total Car Score podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Welcome to the first episode of Total Car Score. I'm here with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix. How are you guys? Great. How about you, Javier? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. I'm here enjoying the summer in Miami. <laughs> so you know what it is. Very hot, very humid, but uh, great air conditioning in the car that I am in. What kind of car are you in? Well, right now I'm sitting in the cabin of the Toyota Tundra TRD, which is very spacious, very comfy. Nice AC, so we could talk a little bit about more uh, later. Excellent. Okay. So, Sounds uh, good. Why don't we Why don't we do a short introduction of ourselves? I think why don't you go on, Lauren, since you let let us into Nactoy uh, a couple of years ago, at least to me, with me. So why don't you go ahead and start with that? All right. Well, uh, Nactoy is the North American Car Truck and Utility Vehicle of the Year, and uh, we're all all three of us are jurors. And it's a lifetime appointment unless you unless you want to step off. But uh, it's great because we get to help consumers pick the right vehicles for themselves, giving them information. And we score the vehicles on multiple different levels, not just you know price, but design and performance. And the nice thing about uh, Noctoy or North American Car and Truck Utility of the Year is there's a winner each year. We spend quite a bit of time testing every single vehicle multiple times. And uh, Carl's been a member longer than I have, and I was. Uh, honored to help bring Javier on board. Yeah, I've been on the uh, jury since I'm going to say around 2003, 2004. Uh, and it was really interesting to think about the group that we've got here now because, you know, Javier, you're in Miami and Lauren, you're in uh, New York. And when I was asked to be on, I was told we needed uh, less uh, 50, really 60 plus year old Detroit white guys. That's why you're being asked on. Oh, print and print. Okay. There was no diversity on the jury when I jury when I was asked to be on, you know, 17 years ago. So it was very unique for me at, at the time at Edmonds.com, an internet person who was in California, and I think you know I was about 33 years old. So uh, it was a it was a it was a very different uh, breed. Now, of course, we've got uh, uh, Lauren, who's who's female, and we've got Javier, who's uh, who was born in Mexico City. So we've got a much more diverse crowd on the jury, and, and I think the three of us represent that pretty well. Yeah, that's great. And that's what we're going to try to do in this podcast, bring you information that is relevant to you, to the customers in a decision-making process when you're getting a new car. Uh, and that's uh, this year has been a little bit challenging without traveling because of restrictions of, because of COVID. But I think it's picking up. We, we actually have a trip pretty soon, right? Yeah, the yeah, first there's... one for me since February. Right. And which one are you going on, Lauren? Uh, I'll be going to uh, drive a ride, I guess, in the Ford Bronco. That'll be all three versions, the Sport, the two-door, and the four-door. So I'm pretty excited. It's a really, really impressive vehicle. I think a lot of people are really excited about, uh, about that vehicle. My neighbor, who doesn't have a car and was almost like against the idea of owning a car again, when he saw that, he went to the website and reserved his, so he's very excited about that too. Wow, that, that's impressive. That that car is going to definitely be a huge hit for Ford. It has caused an incredible buzz across the entire industry and outside the industry. Non-traditional car people like your neighbor, uh, Javier, are great examples of why that vehicle is going to be such a huge impact over the next uh, 12 months when it hits the market. It will be interesting to see how how late they are to the game compared to Jeep, which is uh, like super popular in that particular segment, but uh, we'll see that. 
Yeah, I, I think that one thing that's interesting is Jeep never really had a true competitor. I and mean, there were some that have come and gone, like Hummer. And, of course, Land Rover is really the mountain goat of, of vehicles. And, of course, you got the Mercedes G-Wagon. But this is something that anybody can afford. Yeah, we had little bits and pieces of competitors. You're right. FJ Cruiser from Toyota, which just stopped production recently, was obviously kind of going after that same Wrangler vibe. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then, of course, there was the there is the Toyota Tacoma, which even though it's a truck, uh, all studies I've seen show there's a huge demographic uh, overlap between Wrangler buyers and Toyota Tacoma buyers because those cars are so capable off-road. But really nothing this targeted exactly at what Wrangler is and what it's supposed to do until the Bronco, this new Bronco. Yeah, and that's going to be in a future episode, of course, our experience with the Bronco when we get to ride at it, at least in it, uh, in the next few days. And speaking of, of uh, car brands who are like maybe a little bit behind of the game, that's the news of the week. Uh, yesterday we witnessed uh, through the computer the, the view of the Cadillac Lyric, the first 100% electric vehicle from Cadillac. And Cadillac announced uh, last year that they are going to be the flagship of General Motors for electric cars in the near future. And they also last month, they uh, announced a partnership with EVgo to build two, 2,700 fast charging stations to support that production of new cars. So they have a lot of different initiatives, batteries and, and all that stuff. But we see the car yet. We saw the car yesterday, but it's not coming up until 2022. I mean, that's really late, don't you think? I think they're very slow to bringing it to market. But remember, the manufacturers take a lot longer than a startup or someone like Nikolai or Workhorse or Rivian, where they're like, well, here's, here's the sample and we're going to build to that versus car manufacturers have so many layers of management and approvals by the time it hits the market. I think they are late and I worry that it's a, remember they did the Chevy Volt as a Cadillac and it was a bomb and they sold like what, two of them. Well, <laughs> I just don't want it to be one of those. I agree. And I think, uh, you know, Cadillac, as all three of us would acknowledge, I think, has been struggling a lot in uh, recent years. They uh, they had really great sedans throughout the mid-20-teens. Unfortunately, that's when everyone went to go uh, buy an SUV instead. So they felt like, a you know, more than a day late and a dollar short. They felt several years late. Uh, and uh, so their great sedans were too late to, to take advantage of the SUV shift. Now they finally are getting their SUVs out, but I still don't feel like they're you know, kind of earth shattering in their innovation or design or execution. Uh, the new Lincoln Navigator has completely rivaled the uh, Escalade, which kind of owned that top tier American uh, luxury SUV category yeah. for years. And now we've got the electric uh, kind of commitment, but it's two years away from starting, as you noted. And, um, that, you know, that alone is not going to save them. All three of us, again, are, are aware of how well these electric SUVs and pure electric vehicles in general sell and how well is would be described as not well. They just don't sell well. Audi e-tron, Jaguar I-Pace, none of these things are turning the market on fire uh, by any means. So I think it's great that they made this commitment. I think it helps for their Chinese efforts because China's pushing harder on EVs and Cadillac's got a presence there. So I think they're going to go EV to some extent, no matter what, purely for their China sales. But in terms of you know really helping the brand, especially in the U.S. market, uh, the Lyric is interesting. It's cool design. I don't see it, again, changing the fortunes of the brand. Certainly not by itself. I don't see that either. <laughs> yeah, I think you hit the, the keyword there, China, because I think this is probably where they're going to sell most of them. 
Here in the States, as you mentioned, the e-tron, the iBase, also the Model X from Tesla, which like Tesla has like two years of advantage above every other manufacturer. So, I mean, it's gonna hurt them, I think, and the, in 2022 when they come to market with it. You know, it's funny when you look at electric cars as a whole, here in the US we're selling about less than 2% of vehicles sold are electric plug-ins. And you look at like the UK, it's at 9%. It's not much more. I mean, certainly not when you're looking at like 17 million cars last year sold here in the US. And it'll be obviously less than that uh, for 2020. But when you're looking at China, they were mandating electric vehicles by 2025. And then they realized they had a grid problem that they would have to put up nuclear power plants. So they started building them as quick as they could. But now they're realizing, well, wait a minute, we're having the same problem everyone else is, a shortage of rare earth minerals which could impact all electric sales for every brand, whether they're startups or, or in production, which leads us to something new. I don't know if you guys know about this called blue gas. I don't know if you're knowledgeable about that at all. No, what is that? So blue gas is, if you're looking at hydrogen, the exhaust water comes out, but there's also some other bad exhaust fumes. So they've come up with this way to remove all that. So it just comes out as nothing, just hydrogen nice and clean. They're using it in municipalities. And because of that, China jumped on board very quickly. They put $66 billion into the first gas station in Shanghai. So what they're doing is using electric plug-in vehicles, but instead of plugging them in, they fill them up with blue gas and it fills up quickly and back on the road. So there's now three official gas stations in Shanghai that obviously not gasoline, but it's, it's blue gas. So it's a form of hydrogen. There's also green gas, which is a slightly different version of it, but either way, the investments, if you're looking at investments, this is going to be the future because the biggest problem with electric cars is range. But if you can fill up like a hydrogen station, that could be a better answer. I don't think we're ever going to lose gasoline powered vehicles. I don't know what you guys think about that. that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think like we're going to see that in like 10, 20, 30 years because they're like so much uncertainty. And the infrastructure, as you mentioned, is really, really difficult. They announced this, uh, as I mentioned before, this partnership with EVgo, 2700 fast charging station by 2025. So that's five years away from now. And even that, I mean, I have uh, the, the Bolt EV, the Chevrolet Bolt EV a couple of weeks ago, and it's still like a problem. I don't have a 220 Bolt uh, charge uh, outside my house. But there are like several options around the house, but you have to, to think about it. And then I finally charge it. Listen to this. I finally charge it. It took me like 32 hours to like fully charge it, quote unquote. And when it, uh, the, the reading was two, 218 range, when the official range is 259, that was like the big, again, quote unquote, improvement for 2020 on the Bolt EV. And it was not there. I mean, it was only 218. So like, there's a lot that has to improve there. And with electric cars, it's not going to happen in five, 10 years, I don't think. No, and there's there's other questions, too, about EVs. You know, I still would like to have someone give me a convincing an assessment of what, you know, the term that you often hear is cradle to grave uh, damage to the earth, right? If an EV mm -hmm. is rolling down the street and it's not emitting any emissions and there's a, you know, a big diesel truck next to it, fine. At that moment in time, I'll say that the uh, diesel is putting out more uh, pollution uh, and being more destructive on the planet than the EV. But what did it take to build that EV? How, what was the process of, of mining those rare earth materials that Lauren mentioned? And what did it do to the area around there? Has anyone's ever seen you know, lithium mines and what it looks like in the, in the space, in the land, the surface of the earth around a lithium, lithium mine? It's pretty gross. 
pretty, pretty, pretty tragic for what it looks like. And then um, when you're done with a, a, an EV at the end of its lifespan, again, you've got a battery full of a bunch of rare earth materials that are pretty toxic and they don't just evaporate. There's something has to happen to those things. Uh, so I'm still not convinced. And I've heard plenty of people say that uh, EVs are more destructive. You know, there's, there was an argument 15 years ago saying that cradle to grave, a Prius was more destructive than a Hummer. Uh, and, and, you know, depending on where you sit and, and which, which uh, powertrain you're a fan of, you'll make that argument back and forth. I would like to stop hearing arguments and I would like to see an actual, somebody in a lab coat that I trust, you know, that I, that I, have, that I, I believe doesn't have an agenda other than to be honest, tell me which type of powertrain and which type of vehicle from the time it, you start trying to build one till the time it's fully used up and you're trying to recycle it, which version is more destructive to the planet? Because I'm not still convinced EVs have an advantage overall. I'm with you. And do we know where all the batteries for all those old Priuses are? Because it came out in 1997. So that's like more than 20, 20 years already. So like that, like what you were mentioning, that's a big problem too. There's one other thing, and Lauren, you mentioned it to me in the past and other people have mentioned it. And again, people talk about having a cell phone next to your head. Well, what's it like when you have, you know, a uh, uh, hundred kilowatt hour battery right underneath you what that's that's generating energy the whole time there's probably a magnetic field being set up right so Correct. i'm not saying that's undeniably harmful to humans but i'm also saying that nobody's really tested that one or the other yet i still haven't seen any evidence that says oh yeah completely zero problem or mm -hmm. oh no it's a completely a problem i don't know what the argument there is i'd like to have someone who's interested in honesty versus an agenda to tell me the answer to that that I can believe. It's it's interesting. I have spoken with a few high-level um, scientists who have told me one of the things you don't realize is alternating current can be very dangerous. So that's why you see those high tension lines. The property around it is very low cost if you could buy it. So when you're direct plugging in and you're charging, that is alternating current. So if you own a Tesla or whatever and you're sitting in your vehicle, you plug it into the wall, you hang out in your vehicle, you have a conversation with your friends, eat a sandwich, whatever it might be, you're actually exposing yourself to magnetic waves. Now, what does that mean? Well, mag the magnetic impact to a human can cause multiple sclerosis, cancer, leukemia, some pretty serious impact to the human. And so I say, okay, so you're sitting on this battery and it's doing its thing. You know, yes, there can be some insulation, but there's nothing that's 100% to basically shield you from this impact, which no one's going to talk about until somebody gets really sick. And think about, we all had cell phones at our ears since they were the old brick Motorola's. I think we've all had those and flip phones. But now they're saying, oh, don't put your phone at your ear. You got You have to use an earpiece, which is great. But now you start putting that all together and you're thinking, okay, now I'm sitting on a bank of batteries that <laughs> all put out this. And in my home, am I exposing my family because I have a supercharger, you know, a 220, for example, off of a dryer, which a lot of people have, or a compressor, which I know Carl and I have in our garages. Um, you know, it's a different thing. You're not, you're putting out a little bit of alternating current and a little bit of magnetic field, but certainly not that of a supercharger. So if one is outside your apartment, go find yourself a little meter and you'll see the impact. You might be surprised. Wow. So like exactly. great, great exactly. news of the week, huh? Like electric cars. We have a bright future ahead of us. <laughs> like I, well, it's like all I the said, meat too. I, I got to do it because Tesla is doing, no, I have to do it because Cadillac's doing it. I have to do it because Audi and Jaguar are doing it. 
you know, and the thing is, I mean, as they're new, they sell. Look at the e-tron. It's a cool car. There's no question about it. They're awesome. I find the Tesla to be very boring. And if you're a Harry Potter fan, it looks like a Dementor to me. So I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but if you are, that's one of your soulless creatures that suck the life out of humans. Okay. Well, uh, a great conversation about uh, electric cars. We're going to take a short break here and we're going to come back and talk about real cars that we are driving in real life right now, not in two years, right now. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Total Car Score podcast with uh, Carl Barber and Lauren Fix. And uh, in this segment, we're going to talk about the cars that we're driving this week. And if you allow me, I want to start like very short with uh, what I drove this week, which is the Volvo V60, the station wagon, uh, the small station wagon from Volvo, which now is built here in uh, South Carolina. And it's a beautiful car. I mean, it's like the alternative to the SUV, in my opinion, much more elegant and to my surprise and the surprise of a lot of people who saw me around it with it uh, this week here in my neighborhood, incredibly utilitarian. I put more than 75 plans for my landscaping project in my house. Go to my YouTube channel where I'm going to post the whole experience there. And the car hold that like with no problem at all. I mean, I just put the, the seats down and the whole back area, the cargo area of the V60 expand it and like the panoramic sunroof make it look even bigger than it is and it, it's an amazing car i really don't know why people don't like station wagons here in the u.s and how not well like i guess manufacturers don't offer more because they don't sell but in my opinion they're beautiful cars much better alternative than an suv what do you think lauren i'm really a big fan of the uh of the wagon especially the xc60 wagon i think there's, uh, or the, it'd be the V60 in this case, but uh, I really, lo- I think that's just a great vehicle. I'm, I'm a big fan of wagons. I mean, if you're looking at other brands that are still doing wagons, Audi is doing the RS6 Avant. Now, if you really want performance, you're talking a whole other price point, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, I would agree 100%. And, you know, Lauren, wasn't that the one that you and I uh, went on the press trip and all? Uh, I think Paul was there. We drove that new V60 when it was first uh, introduced a while ago. Uh, yes. in Europe somewhere. I think it was in uh, Barcelona. Was, that was a place yeah. I got robbed. I got robbed in Spain, that's believe it or not. Look into our oh, car and took everything. Oh, we got most of it back, but what an experience. That's on my YouTube channel, believe it or not, under uh, Car Coach Reports, because people can't believe it. That experience is, you know, it's, oh, it never happened to me. Well, when it does, yeah, you do wake up. It, do, it is kind of shocking. I yeah. can't remember what happened there. Did they break into your car or what? how did they get your stuff? They have, uh, there's a rolling code when you hit the lock on the door. And I'm one that like hits the lock a hundred times, you know, and Paul mm-hmm. Bryan, who's, who I, I'm friends with, he always says, oh, come on. How many times do you have to hit that thing? Well, we went into the restroom, we came back and I just knew it. You have that gut feeling. I said, someone was in the car. He's like, no. I look in the back, I go, oh my gosh, my purse is gone. And he didn't react. I go, your briefcase is gone. Then he flipped out. He was like, what? So, and the problem is when you call the police, my Spanish is mm, not so good. Javier knows I'm working on, I'm learning. But uh, they said, come on down to the police station. We'll write a report. I'm like, well, is that what you do with everything? You go, yeah, we, we don't leave here. You come to us. So I had to get a translator, but after getting a new passport and everything, it was um, it was a learning lesson um, and thousands of dollars later. But um, it, it was, uh, it was ex- an experience coming back to the U.S. with a temporary passport and then having to get a new one and telling the same story all over again. Going back to the station wagon, Volvo already have 
the Polestar uh, version of their station wagon of the V90, which my neighbor across the street has it. It's a beautiful car, a high performance station wagon, and he loves it. I mean, he has other cars. He has like a Porsche and everything, but like he is driving that station wagon like there's no end to, <laughs> to tomorrow. I mean, like he loves that car. And Mercedes-Benz also has the E63 AMG, which is like a crazy, crazy, crazy high performance. Uh, station wagon. You drove in that one, right, Carl? Yeah, I have. And it's really crazy when you consider that the level of performance that those things offer and then the level of functionality like you're talking about that all station wagons offer. When you have that in a single vehicle, it's crazy. You feel like, okay, I could I could basically beat most people out here on the street in any kind of performance test. And I could like, you know, move my kid to college really easily and use it as a functional cargo vehicle too and those things in a single vehicle it's a very it's a very bizarre experience but i think europeans again are much more used to it they appreciate functionality i think they're a little more rational oftentimes than uh, than americans when it comes to their car buying they like hatchbacks they like wagons but they don't assume that well now i'm doing i'm going practical of course i got to give up fun they expect the automakers to provide those things that still have uh, a fun time to drive them when they aren't carrying things around and so of course, Volvo comes from Europe, so does Mercedes. It's not uncommon that you see these European automakers much more supportive of performance wagons. And uh, I agree also with what you said, Javier. They're beautiful. The two-box design, you know, you got the low hood, and then it just flows into this larger uh, secondary box where the greenhouse is and the passengers sit. It just, to me, it just naturally looks better, typically, than uh, a sedan. Um, and and uh, they, I think they also look far sleeker than any kind of an SUV. So wagons are great. Americans, by and large, don't appreciate them as much as they should. Although I do feel like there's been a little bit of movement there. I feel like, you know, everything goes in cycles and wagons were the official family car for uh, the U.S. market for years. And then uh, I, always, I always blame Clark Griswold and the uh, movie Vacation. You know, they, they did such a great job of making fun of station wagons in that movie. I think that put some kind of stigma on them from then on. Plus, the minivan came out in the 80s and that replaced the wagons. But we're getting we're seeing a little bit more openness, I think, in America to buying a station wagon, a little more appreciation for that body style. Same thing with hatches. I think we're getting a little more sophisticated as consumers. So hopefully we'll see more of them. Yeah, Volkswagen had the Jetta version of uh, of the uh, station wagon, but they pulled it out of the market, I think, last year. And does Buick have a station wagon still? They did they they debuted one a couple of years ago, but I don't know. I lost track if they already still in the market. They've no. gone all SUVs. That's uh, sadly. They got yeah. the new Encore GX, which I had uh, two weeks ago, and I'll be posting a review on that coming up. And they've got the Encore, just the regular Encore, which is even smaller. Yeah. So, Carl, I have a big question mark here in my script. Why are you driving? So, uh, I think the car that I drove recently that I was uh, happily surprised by and uh, somewhat enthralled with was the LC500 convertible from Lexus. Uh, you know, that car just was released. I think they're just starting to hit dealerships now. And I was a huge fan of the coupe when it came out because that car, we remember, you guys all know, it was not even supposed to be a production car. It was a pure design exercise as a show car, a concept car years ago on one of the Lexus stands. And it got such a reaction from the buying public and from the rest of the industry that they were like, well, okay, let's go ahead and make one of these for real life. And then usually when that happens, you guys know, the, the transition from concept car stage to a production car showroom typically pulls a lot of the, the life, sucks a lot of the life and the passion out of what was the concept car. It did not in the Lexus case. This LC500 coupe came out and it looked almost exactly like the concept car that everyone fell in love with. So I loved it from day one for that reason. And then 
the convertible just hit the market now. And like most cars, when you can drop the top, they only look better. So beautiful car. Uh, it, it, if you just if you just looked at it, it would almost be worth the price of entry. And it actually drives extremely well. The other good news that is reflected in the fact that Lexus will even build one of the, one of these kind of vehicles is the increased effort to put emotion and passion into their model line. And when you drive that convertible and you put it in the like Sport Plus mode, where it's kind of the most aggressive on steering input and throttle input, uh, it's also the most aggressive on exhaust note. And it has this uh, off-throttle popping, you know, where, you, where you're on the throttle and it makes a great V8 noise. And then when you let off the throttle, it pops through the exhaust like a high-performance car. I was driving the car thinking, I cannot believe I'm in a Lexus. You know, the, I used to make fun of Lexus brand and I called them sensory deprivation chambers, you know, because they were like those old 70s movies where you were like supposed to float in a tank of water and, sh you know, close yourself <laughs> in the dark and all and get yourself totally isolated from the outside world for some kind of meditation purposes. And I used to make fun of Lexus and all. And, and it's like, you know, by the way, there are a lot of people who want a sensory deprivation chamber to drive them around. That's exactly what they want. So it's not, you know, it's not, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. Lexus is the most successful luxury brand from Japan, but I never was personally that interested in the vehicles for those reasons. Uh, I, I think the LC 500 coupe and convertible even more so emits a level of passion I would have never thought possible from the brand, and I'm thrilled that they're doing it. I, I like that car too, the LC 500 convertible. I like it better than the coupe. I don't know, there's something yep. about the coupe, it just looked like it was a me too car. Like you can't show up at an exotic event with that because people look at you and go, Okay, it's a Lexus. But the convertible, I took to an exotic event because like Carl and I have the same fun toys, similar, and uh, at least one of them. And I pulled up and it was bright yellow with a black interior. And I had people come over that owned Ferraris, Maseratis, and they loved it. They said, this is one beautiful car. And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm actually impressed with it uh, in a lot of ways. But the it just it was well designed. There were a couple weird things like where you found to open, uh, open and close the top, I thought was frustrating at times. But other than that, I thought the car was actually better than the coupe. Yeah, I agree with that too. And I guess uh, Akio Toyota, the CEO of Toyota Lexus, his, his promise of not having boring and Lexus in the same sentence is coming to, to be truth with this car, at least. I mean, I think it's the most beautiful new car, at least, that I, I've seen in the past a uh, few years really really uh fantastic i had one that was white with a blue in blue interior and it was it was really really beautiful yeah and i i had the we all had different colors i had that kind of uh kind of reddish heading almost toward a purple color for mine and i took it to the cars and coffee and just like you experienced lauren i mean this is a it's a cars and coffee but it's the one in san clemente down here in south orange county and it's a pretty high-end cars and coffee i mean you see a line of Ferraris, Lamborghinis, uh, all sorts of crazy exotic cars, McLarens. It's a pretty, and I brought it there because I had it that weekend. I'm like, eh, I'll take it to Cars and Coffee. It'll be fun. All sorts of reaction. Lots of photos being taken. Lots of people gathering around looking at the thing. So uh, it's like, okay, this Lexus can now, uh, you know, compete and show, hold its own at a very high-end Cars and Coffee. And the other thing about that car, like they just announced pricing, it's just around a hundred. I mean, it's like a expensive car, obviously, but like for what you get, I think compared to other cars in the luxury market, I think it's like a pretty good deal. Yeah, and it's a Lexus, so it's going to go forever and have like zero problems. You know, the maintenance is going to be a non-issue. So if you were looking for a kind of an exotic look and a and almost an exotic driving experience too, like I said, the steering, the handling, all that's great. Let let alone the exhaust note that it makes, which I love. So you want that kind of semi, if not fully exotic experience with zero 
maintenance and ownership cost issues, which most exotics come with, uh, that you have to deal with, it'd be a great, uh, it'd be a great uh, kind of alternative for for someone looking for that. Can I be the devil's advocate on this? Mm -hmm. okay. Sure. Okay, if you're buying a Ferrari, a Porsche, a Ford GT, I don't know, a Shelby, a, a new Corvette, and it's loaded, and it's loaded and equal to that of the Lexus. The biggest dilemma with the Lexus is resale value. You are, even though there's only a couple hundred of them coming to the U.S., I think maybe it's even a hundred. I still don't think it's going to pull the, pull the money. It just doesn't. They just don't hold their value. Like a GTR, great car, but you have one that's four or five years old and it it depreciates pretty quick. You have a Ford GT, you've already doubled your value. You've got some, you know, rare Ferrari or or something in that price point. You're definitely going to get your money back. And and this is the same problem that Acura has with the NSX. There, you know, the car is great, but it's still an Acura, and it certainly increases, or should I say, decreases the resale value. Yeah, that's true, and it's ironic because Lexus as a brand uh, is one of the best resale value brands. Like Toyota and Lexus vehicles hold their value so well, but this one, because it stretches beyond their kind of normal uh, area, both in terms of price and in terms of what the car represents. Yeah, it'll be a low volume car and it probably at least in the near term won't hold its value that well. Now, long term, of course, first gen NSXs now are going up in value because everyone finally realized it's like, wow, these things are like super reliable exotic mid-engine exotic cars. So now the first gen NSXs are kind of being sought after and going up in value. But I don't think most people want to buy a car and wait around for 10 or 15 years before it becomes a, a strong value. So yeah, if you're smart and you want an LC, uh, you'd probably be smarter to wait till there's a two or three year old one and get get a CPO certified pre owned one at a much lower cost. Or yeah. just lease it. Or just lease it. Have fun or with it for two three it. years and move on to the next coolest yeah. hottest thing. Okay, moving to the next coolest thing. Uh, what, what are you driving, uh, Lauren, this week? I think uh, maybe not that kind of cool kind of thing, but something nice too. No, not actually. Uh, I've got two vehicles. One, I, I'm, I actually, they're both great vehicles. One of them is the Volkswagen Jetta GLI. So it's, it's really pretty red. It's loaded. It's the Autobahn edition. It is actually, it's a really good value car. So you still can have good looks and all the things that you love about you know, a vehicle and the, the warranty is a little longer than that of the Japanese, you know, the four year, 50,000 mile. I thought it was weird that they cut back on the five year uh, warranty, but uh, that we'll have to have another conversation about another time on warranties. But the other vehicle I get uh, right now, I'm getting two vehicles. I've got a Mercedes uh, GLC 43 AMG in cardinal red and it's spectacular and i love it because you can put the exhaust on and like upset the neighbors or you can sneak through the neighborhood when it's late at night that's the suv version but it's like the coupes style version right right this is a it's an suv so it but it's like a performance suv it's about the same size as like maybe a macan so if you're thinking about a porsche macan you're thinking okay you know i'm i'm not going to go with the turbo i'm going to go with just a really nice car because the price points coming in that eighty thousand dollar range i think it's a really fun car but then again i i'm a little biased i love german technology because they're very specific in the things that they do uh but i but then again i also have some domestics so it, i guess it depends what you're looking for yeah Mercedes-Benz or Mercedes-AMG, I should say, it's doing great. I mean, they have expanded their portfolio, I don't know how many times. Like They, they, have, they must have like over a hundred different models because they have front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, uh, different V6, four-cylinder, uh, like all kinds. I mean, it's crazy the amount of cars that AMG is having. And then I see, especially some of the higher, higher 
uh, great cars like the G-Wagon, like driving here in Miami, well, this time of the COVID uh, pandemic, pandemic, we don't have too much traffic, but you see all those cars all over the place and nobody takes them where they can really do like the, the things that they were built for. I mean, AMG is really an amazing brand. Maybe it's worth a whole episode to talk about it. Yeah, we should because oh, yeah. right, AM, AMG's got a history that is fascinating. They started out as a totally separate tuner company that wasn't you know, related to Mercedes at all, except that they modified Mercedes. That was what they modified, but they had no official uh, alliance with the company. And people loved the end results of what this tuning shop in Germany was doing to these AMGs so much that ultimately Mercedes bought a, uh, uh, some interest, then they bought controlling interest, and then they just bought the whole company. And now it's an integral part of the Mercedes model lineup and uh, how they market the cars and, and take, you know, kind of their volume, high, high volume standard versions and have an AMG version to help kind of inject some excitement into, into all their cars. Even the ones that aren't AMGs, they benefit from the AMG versions that are being sold and pulling these impressive numbers and magazine tests and all. So it's a fascinating history that we'll, uh, we'll have to go over at some point. Carl, you mentioned the word test uh, right there where you were talking about that. We are going to come back in the final segment of this episode to talk about something that uh, you learn about uh, in California, which is probably going to annoy millions of people in the near future, right? True. Yes, let's yeah. talk about that. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Total Car Score podcast. And uh, we're going to talk, as uh, Carl was saying, about something that he just found out about a car that he actually own, used to own. And uh, it's having some kind of uh, problems with the, let's say, the authority in the state. <laughs> Carl, what's going on there? Yeah, well... Anyone who's been around California and all knows that they have a fairly, we'll say, aggressive, some might use the term draconian, but they have a certainly uh, highly present um, vehicle emissions systems and testing systems in this state. And uh, CARB, which stands for California Air Resources Board, uh, is the organization, the government organization, state government that's in charge of essentially making sure all the cars in the state live up to their emission requirements and aren't polluting the air, uh, which in and of itself is a uh, very fine uh, goal. The, the problem that has just come up that I'm hearing about from multiple sources is that there are older vehicles that have had modifications that do not increase their emissions. There's an emission standard, a lot of people may know this, but there's an emission standard for every car. So when there was a car built in, this started, uh, you know, really in like the 70s. Uh, but in, in when there was a 20, 2005 Ford GT, which was a supercharged V8 mid-engine exotic car from, from Ford, they have a new one now too. But in 05 and 06, they built these cars and they had a level of emissions they were allowed according to both the national emissions level and the California state emissions level. And most car companies, they just make sure they meet the California one because California is a huge market. And if there's a difference between California's and the national and California's more restrictive, they just make sure they meet the California one so they can sell the car in all 50 states. Well, that car had a certain level it was allowed to emit, and it can be tested to make sure it's emitting the right amount. And you can modify the car, which I did when I owned it. I had a 2005 Ford GT, and I modified it with what was pretty much known within the Ford GT community as the stage one update. And it basically was a slightly uh, smaller pulley on the um, – on the supercharger that would potentially increase more boost. So you'd have more supercharger boost. 
Now you can't just do that and have more power. If you do that, you also want to recalibrate the engine controller to take advantage of the increased boost capacity. So you would put on the smaller pulley, you'd recalibrate the engine controller and the two things work together happily and the car would have a big bump in horsepower. And it would not increase the emissions. You could still take it to an emissions test and it would pass. In fact, seven years after you buy a car in California, you have to start getting it tested every other year. So in 2012, my 2005 Ford GT needed an emissions test. Took it in, passed with flying colors, off I went. 14, 16, 18, all, all four of those tests that I did with the car when I owned it, passed flying colors, no issue. Well, then I sold it to a gentleman named Doug DeMuro. Some of the listeners might know him. He's a fairly popular YouTuber. And he just took it in for its 2020 emissions test. And before he, they ever stuck the thing in the tailpipe to make sure it was putting out the right level of exhaust emissions, it was flagged for referee, meaning he has to take it to a referee and have the referee inspect wow. the entire car top to bottom and make sure it matches the right uh, way it was built and the way it was originally uh, sent away from the factory. And it, I'm still not sure. Nobody knows exactly why this is happening, but the, it, all indications would suggest that California is now aware that cars have been modified and they don't, they don't care that the car still meets the emissions requirements for the state. If it's been modified, i.e. the engine controller has been changed to take advantage of a different uh, uh, supercharger pulley for more horsepower, it has to be changed back to the factory settings, regardless of the fact that the changes didn't increase the emissions past the level that are uh, limited by the state of California. And this has gone beyond just my car. I've heard about this from other Ford GT people, and now I'm starting to hear about it from people with Mustangs that also, again, meet the emissions requirements, but have had some uh, modifications. So these are we're in the early stages of this thing. It just seems to be happening, but this could be a huge issue if it goes, if it keeps going and blows up the way I suspect it might, because there are a lot of enthusiasts who live in California. There are millions and millions of cars here, and a lot of them have been modified. And if suddenly every one of those cars, even though they're meeting in the emission requirements for California, suddenly has to be put back to stock, it's going to cause a huge issue, both for people who currently own cars, and then there's the whole aftermarket uh, uh, world, SEMA, Specialty Equipment Market Association that has their show every year in Vegas, except this year it just got canceled because of COVID. But the aftermarket industry in this country is huge. There's a lot of businesses built around people who want to customize and modify their car. And if the state of California suddenly says you essentially can't do it at all, even if you pass the emissions requirements, you still can't do it, that's going to be huge. Oh, wow. So in short, you cannot work in your car, basically? That's what you're saying? Well, you can only, like, you can change the spark plugs, but of course they got it. And you, know, you can put aftermarket spark plugs in a car that may or may not help its performance at all. In theory, anything that modifies the car from the complete way it rolled out of the showroom wouldn't be allowed uh, in the state of California. That's what this is starting to look like. Well, that's interesting because the aftermarket is millions and billions of dollars. We are talking about something as simple as wheels, tires, exhaust systems, software upgrades. I mean, I've been going to the SEMA show since the 80s. And to think that they're going, it, it could impact the economy in such a way, there may be some pushback, but I don't think anyone knows about this yet, Carl. So you're sort of bringing it to light for all of us. I mean, I don't leave my cars stock. I always have to play with them. Uh, not, and if you're talking about what they call a cat back, something as simple as that, which is the catalytic from the catalytic converter back. Uh, I have an Audi RS6 that has, uh, or an RS5 that has it, and that would make it illegal. And I'm, I don't even know where the original exhaust piece is. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. 
you know what you know florida has nothing of that there's no emissions testing every year or anything you could just drive your car register and go ahead and you never have to come back to check anything on it so move to florida Carl. everyone on the 4gt forum that i'm obviously a member of that's what they're all saying javier they're all making fun of the californians as they always do because they're everyone in pretty much every other state it's like i don't know what you guys are talking about we don't even have to think about this stuff but all the california owned uh, four GTs, and there's a couple. Actually, there's a lot uh, of four GTs of 0506 era in this state. Uh, they're not happy, and I mean, I'm just thinking about the fact that I happen to have sold mine to Doug, you know, a year and a half ago when all this stuff started, and uh, to, to think that I might have still had it if I hadn't wanted to buy a new one and needed some of the extra money to help me get the new one. If I'd have still had my my 05 that I'd had for 13 years, but 31,000 miles, loved it, and had it tested four times with no problems, and suddenly I'm dealing with this nightmare uh, to have to move it back to stock uh, is just a, is something I can't conceive of. And uh, I'm lucky I have an 18 and a 19 performance cars in my garage, so they don't, they, and they don't need modified. They're both really fast without any modifications. So I'm not in trouble here, but yeah, it's just inconceivable to be a car enthusiast in California if that's gonna be the kind of uh, aggressive draconian measures they're gonna make where you can't even make changes, even if the car still passes emissions. It doesn't make sense because California is the big market though. That's the huge market. We're going to be paying attention to, I mean, you probably more than me because you're there, but we as the show, we're going to be paying attention to that in the next episode and see what's coming up with that. But uh, thank you for uh, the, this uh, first episode of the podcast. And uh, please, Lauren and Carl, can you remind uh, the audience where they can find you and uh, how can they follow you and all that? Uh, all forms of social media at Lauren Fix or go to my website, carcoachreports.com. Yeah, and I'm uh, same thing at Carl Brower with a K. That's K-A-R-L and then B-R-A-U-E-R, whether it's um, Instagram or Twitter uh, or YouTube. You can just look for that name. And uh, that's where you'll find me. And of course, I'm writing for a regular uh, basis for Forbes as well. So they can go to the Forbes auto section and find me there. Excellent. And I'm everywhere as the same at Javier Mota. Very easy. And uh, we'll be back with the next episode of uh, the Total Car Score podcast. And uh, thank you very much, guys. And uh, stay out of trouble. Stay safe. And uh, see you soon in the Bronco, right? Yes. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening. For more, check us out online at TotalCarscore.com.